Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody back today. We are in Montgomery at the ADRS building, and we have Mrs. Helen Baker, Executive Director of Alabama's Assistive Technology Resource, or STAR, with us today. And we are going to be talking about access to and acquisition of assistive technology. And at this point, I'd like to hand it back over, Mrs. Baker, if you would introduce yourself. Yes, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Helen Baker, and I'm the Executive Director for the STAR program have been for 12 years now. Um, the STAR program has um, been around since 1994. Um, I started with the program in 1997, so I have a total of 24 years now, I think, with uh, the program that's been around for approximately 27 years. So um, I only missed it by a few years from the inception. So and I'm the only one that's still left with the program. Uh, I guess that's fortunately or unfortunate. I'm not sure. Holding strong. <laughs> You're the core there. Yeah, I, I am it as far as one of the um, second originals. All of the, the original ones uh, are gone. So. Um, and are you originally from Alabama? I am. I, I grew up in a small town outside of Tuskegee, Alabama. Um, was, um, I went to, to uh, Tuskegee Institute at that time, but it's now Tuskegee University. Got my bachelor's degree um, in elementary education, special ed. And from there, I went to uh, Auburn University in Auburn and got my master's degree. Uh, in rehabilitation counseling and vocational evaluation. Mm. So that's how I started in, in this field. Yeah, we always like to ask Roll Tide or War Eagle, but it sounds like War Eagle. <laughs> War Eagle, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my War Eagle fans. <laughs> now you mentioned early childhood uh, education. Did you ever teach in the classroom? Well, I did some sub teaching and actually after my uh, initial internship as, as a teacher, um, before becoming certified and I graduated, I um, had a good and a bad experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was excellent uh, training for me, but I just realized that teaching really wasn't the way I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. um, I really would love to uh, say thank you to all the teachers, you know, out there appreciate what they do it is a job that is you know really not appreciated like it should but um i just felt that it wasn't for me at the time but i thoroughly enjoyed it and had a wonderful internship and um my teachers and the yeah we're, we're checking the microphone here uh, we'll just reboot it. Um, you can hear my mic. Uh, and teachers, I think, are kind of like caregivers. It takes a special person to be able to do that. I, yes. I couldn't be able to do yes. it. And, uh, especially now. Okay. And especially in today's world, it is real difficult and challenging, you yeah. know, to be, to be a teacher. But um, I still admire it. And I still feel that I have those tendencies <laughs> and I often, you know, practice it, you know, of course, not in the classroom, but on my family and everybody else that I, yeah, that the I, skills that you I learned there. Yes. There yes. Um, so tell us, uh, give us a little bit of what STAR is for anybody that's unfamiliar with it. Okay. And they probably will be because STAR, just like uh, other assistive technology act programs and all the other states, is uh, they said a well um, uh, hidden secret. 
you know, for a lot of people with disabilities out there. That's unfortunate though, but um, luckily the federal government found that there was a need, you know, for programs like STAR to exist. And actually it started in 1988 when Congress passed it's the technology related assistance for individuals with disabilities act and it was uh, passed at that time to create uh, a systemic change uh, to improve the availability of assistive technology you know for people with disabilities um, from that time um, it was reauthorized again in 1998 uh, as the Assistive Technology Act of 1980, 1988, and that was Public Law 105-394, a uh, short version, it says AT Act of 1998. At that time when it was reauthorized, it was focusing on not so much systemic change, but on capacity building and services that would allow states to conduct a lot of discretionary activities um, according to you know what their capabilities were at the time they weren't as focused uh, as uh, the act of 1988 and then as amended again in 2004 and that's basically where we are now currently star is working from that amendment that uh, significantly changed a lot of uh, the legislation. Uh, the focus uh, now uh, is on assisting individuals with disabilities and others to have um, more access mm. and acquisition of assistive technology. Now, when we talk about assistive technology, and we're gonna be talking about it quite a bit today, um, could you give us some examples of what an, an assistive technology is or someone would use it? I, I will. I have all of that information for you. But before we go into that, let me also inform you that the, the, uh, the current act that we're working under is, is now called a formula grant. Mm. And that means that our program now is more solvent because at one point they were going to discontinue it. But when um, the federal government found that there was still a significant gap, you know, in the digital divide, mm -hmm. they decided that um, they would make it a formula grant, which provides a portion of the funds to all of the states equally, but it's also based on population. So okay. a lot of states do get more funding than others based on their population, you know, size and so forth. That makes sense to me, though. Yeah. You know, if there's more people being served, then you're going to need more resources for that state. Well, and also before I get to answer your question about examples of the technology, mm -hmm. um, we... I would like for them to know why we exist. Um, the, so the Technology Act, the Assistive Technology Act is to support states' efforts and you know, other states to improve the provision of assistive technology to individuals. And we do that by working with other programs within the community um, that will uh, work with all ages and all disabilities because we can't do it alone. Yeah. We have to have the partnerships with the community. And it has to be a consumer responsive uh, program. Now, when you say consumer responsive, what, is that, what does that entail? Well, consumer involvement, um, the consumer should be driving mm. the whole uh, you know, nature of the program and the services that we provide. And one of the ways that we do that is by um, 
performing or conducting an annual needs assessment. Sometimes it is done annually, but sometimes we miss. And we're currently in the process of doing that now where we're um, submitting this to individuals with disabilities, their family members, and uh, professionals or providers who work with um, caregivers who work with people with disabilities. So once we take the data and aggregate the data from the needs assessment, we like to determine what those needs are. And we look at what the needs are, what the assistive technology devices and services they need. And then we also look at what training they might need based on uh, the needs and yeah. the technology. I think that's awesome that you listen to the consumers and kind of adapt uh, to what their needs are because that may change over time. Um, we, as technology gets better, some things that people needed maybe 30 years ago, um, they're having a lot of help with with their phones now. Um, yes. So being responsive in that in that aspect. And then you hit on another aspect there, the training. Yes. Um, even if you know you get a new piece of, I get new technology all the time. We have a couple cameras here, and I know nothing about them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I need to be trained. That is a big, um, you know, problem, and we have found that to be so true within the school systems. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of teachers, and you know, you know, the IEP is a special thing now that special education educators have to um, complete for all students, you know, with disabilities and. Um, in the classroom and it's been hard for them to determine what assistive technology needs the students need. Mm. So they rely on us and people in this industry and assistive technology specialists, you know, to help them with doing assessments and evaluation to determine those needs. Um, and, and when they put that in their IEP, these are accommodations that they have to um, you know, uh, include for the students and abide by those, you know, accommodations. Now, how does that work? Do you reach out to the schools or does the teacher or somebody in the family put it in the IEP and then the school contacts you? Or how does that flow happen? Well, a lot of times the calls that we're getting now, and unfortunately STAR at this moment does not have like an assistive technology specialist. That's one of my goals, future goals. Um, what we do, we have to know what resources are available out there. So what I do when the school systems contact us, mm -hmm. pretty much, uh, it's a little bit different than when like you're a vocational rehab counselor, you go into the school systems and you're, you're talking to the students, you already know some of, you know, the teachers have identified some of those students that need assistance. Mm -hmm. We, on the other hand, with the STAR program, um, either we'll get the calls from the, the counselors or um, the guidance counselors at school, social workers, or the uh, special ed, you know, coordinators from the schools. And they'll just tell us that we need this uh, individual to have an assessment or an evaluation. Uh, and as I said, we don't have um, the provisions to do that, just do the STAR program, but mm -hmm. we do make the referral yeah. to um, individuals that we know that can provide those assessments for them. And that also is done through the Department of Rehabilitation Services because they do have a rehab technology specialist that we refer to mm -hmm. um, on a regular basis when that happens. And we had an opportunity to um, have uh, the Homewood office where they were actually building some of this uh, uh, assistive technology, mm -hmm. uh, 3D printing. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really cool. The stuff well, that there's a lot of things that they can do uh, to accommodate, you know, students and also people uh, in the work, you know, force mm -hmm. too. So. Now, how many um, people a year would you say uh, start uh, service serves 
Well, it, it varies. Mm -hmm. It can be 3,500 to you know 4,000 plus wow. per year that we actually serve. And that's through all the programs that we have. And some of the programs that we have um, either through trainings or the reutilization programs, which is our medical equipment program, and um, our you know, short-term loan and demonstration programs. So, uh, when in our alternative finance, we also have an alternative finance program. Mm -hmm. So when we, um, these are actual numbers. Yeah, that's a know, lot of people. That, yes. It's great to have that reach and that impact. And, and well, the potential impact is, is much, much greater than that. Oh yeah. We're always looking into, you know, over 200,000 plus a year <sighs> because we do have people that give us that feedback back that they are taking this knowledge and information, you know, outside of, you know, or, or into their arena. Well, even like in school, if somebody sees uh, a child that has assistive technology and they're overcoming a challenge, um, you know, and they see that workflow, it can it can break a lot of barriers um, or people have uh, about um, people that need extra help. Uh, yeah. You know, so, so that impact goes a long way as well. It does. Yeah. It does. And we try to ask people when we provide training, um, you know, different topics that they prefer or training modules either online or on site because we haven't been doing much on site right now because of the pandemic and we really do miss that aspect of uh, training um, but we ask people you know potentially how many people that they serve you know beyond just listening or taking this training at this point where is this information going to go yeah and we do get that information back and that helps us with our numbers yeah you got to keep those numbers so you got to report them back yes. and i feel you about the uh the online trainings we've been doing that you know for quite a while yeah. now and yeah. everybody knows the word zoom yes <laughs> and it's uh i think it's going to be added to the dictionary i think it's going to be the next word added to yeah. the well, verb there to zoom well, one, one thing I just want people to remember, you know, when you're talking about the Assistive Technology Act, which STAR is, like I said, one of 56 programs. And I mean, 56 programs, meaning there are uh, all of the United States, and then there's um, Washington, D.C., well, the District of Columbia, I'm sorry, and um, the um, U.S. territories. Mm -hmm. So there's 56 of us. And we all are pretty much under the same mandate now with the new formula grant mm. to provide um, certain services that we have to report on annually back to the, the federal you know, government. And they love um, antidotes and pictures. Yeah. You know, so diagrams, charts. Well, yeah, if we can provide them. But the stories they love yeah. and they like the pictures to go along with that. So those really make a big impact yeah. now for the state of alabama <clears throat> you contract with a lot of different entities to provide these services for the star program is there one location here in montgomery or are there several uh okay. sites around the state well our primary central location is here mm -hmm. and we are under the uh, uh, department of rehabilitation services um, and ADRS is statewide. There are state, offices statewide, everywhere. Statewide. And we do a lot of collaborating with the, um, the offices across the state because sometimes when we're uh, distributing or delivering uh, equipment to consumers, we utilize, you know, some of the staff, you know, for that and their goings and comings to those areas. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, we are centrally located here uh, as the core, but we subcontract with um, 
other community-based uh, programs and a faith-based program, you know, um, across the state. We try, you know, to cover the entire state as much as we can because we do have programs from Huntsville um, all the way down to Mobile mm -hmm. from north to south. Um, but in one of our goals, which I'll talk about later, is to maybe expand even into, you know, the inner state and the, the rural areas. More. Yeah, I, I think that's a big thing that a lot of people are talking about is expanding into the rural areas. We mm -hmm. hear it now with the, um, the Internet. Uh, and getting broadband, oh, yeah. you know, yes. in places. And that's hit home, especially during this pandemic, because children need to be able to learn and get them these online schools. That's true. Uh, and they're having this this dial-up connection that's really... Um, so I think we're hearing that in a lot of different uh, aspects, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, there are a lot of um, federal dollars now have been put into yeah. doing that to increase the broadband. And I don't think um, as many people are getting on board with that to, you know, access that money to help in the rural areas, but it's, it's getting there. Yeah. I just think one thing the pandemic has really just taught us a lot mm -hmm. in terms of helping us realize where the needs are mm -hmm. and um, the, where those gaps are, even though we knew they existed, but it's really, it really helped to broaden that. It's kind of a pressure point. It's a good check for us. I don't yes. want to say the pandemic was a good thing, but it, yeah. was, well, it, brought, it brought about some things that needed to be taken care of. That's true. That's true. <clears throat> now, when we think of the population that STAR serves, um, would you say that most of the assistive technology uh, is for things that are done at the home or more for uh, leisure things or more work-related or more school-related? Well, I, it's mostly for the home because... The, the nature of the people that we serve and who access the programs. Um, we're serving ages, uh, I would say seniors and older populations more. And if I guess if I had to break that down, I would say we're looking at probably 60%, you know, are seniors and older if they're, you know, 35 and older, if we want to break it down to that. Uh, about 25% is like 19 and, and under, and this is coming from the education, mm -hmm. you know, aspect of it, you know, children's needs. And then from 30, I mean, 20 to 35, there may be like 15%. Okay. But. Um, so really early on in the school where they're getting used to it. And, and I think that, uh, that that begs a lot for um, early intervention services kind of thing and getting used to using some assistive technology. Uh, and then a little bit later on mm -hmm. in life, uh, mm -hmm. also using some assistive technology, yes. kind of two yes. ends of the spectrum. Yes, there. those just kind of blend into that. Yeah, well, I would say 25% because the early intervention, because there's been another problem is the, the transitioning of the assistive technology with the student. Mm. And um, that that has uh, one, one of the goals of the ATAC program was to help um, with that problem to the availability of the assistive technology that should transition with the student mm -hmm. or the person, even if they're transitioning um, out of the home into work. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that doesn't always happen. Yeah. But I hear that a few times with different services or just transitioning out of high school uh, and making sure that that's a, a seamless transition to yes. whatever that looks like. And sometimes yes. that can be a little bit of a, an abrupt stop for some services uh, or it seems like for some families. Well, I would let, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
I, I was just going to say because the purpose of our, our, our act is if you we talk about it, it's always to, and, and you're increasing this, you're increasing the availability, you're increasing the funding, and you're, you're increasing the capacity for you know people to secure and maintain possession you know of their assistive technology you know as they transition so that that's a major a major um problem and that we have to overcome barrier i was just saying what do you think um is a good way to try and tackle that well as far i guess it's staying um in touch with the entities that you're working with let's say if you're um, of course, one of the one of the issues would be that students or children grow out of technology, of Very course, true. and they have to um, get newer technology to fit their needs and their age and size and that kind of thing. But in the other, with with um, is funding sources, you know, is being aware of what sources could fund the assistive technology. Uh, whether with private insurance or Medicaid, you know, Medicare. Um, and then also we let people know that we have a program, the alternative finance program that will help. We'll talk about purchase. that in a little okay. bit. I don't want to jump ahead there. All right. Um, I do want to acknowledge chat here. Uh, Sherry Glenn Henderson says, hi, Mrs. Hi, Ms. Helen. Okay. Uh, and Kim Spangler, Kim, I'm going to give this a shot here. Each year we were faced with an entirely new set of people who needed to get trained on assistive tech we were trying to use with our son. We experienced a great deal of disruption to services because from one year to the next, especially within sixth grade and up, where a student has multiple teachers in a day, uh, because not enough general ed teachers are trained to use adaptive, adaptive tech and not enough special aids are hired to assist uh, within the gen ed classroom. So this was quite problematic for them in the school system. Are there any efforts underway to train the gen ed staff on these special accommodations? Uh, question mark. And then most universities are creating a collaborative ed degree for this reason. Uh, any state funded aid, uh, agendas here? If it's this, how is the issue getting acknowledged through this grant? Um, so I think it's, uh, is there uh, efforts to well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the, the things that I have done is really um, approached one of the universities here to actually um, incorporate a curriculum that will train, hopefully attract and train more people to help resolve this issue because it is a problem, especially in Alabama. Um, I've had... Um, uh, many issues just trying to find uh, an assistive technology specialist mm -hmm. or someone who could help with the training and intervene and help general ed, you know, the teachers um, as well. And I've also spoken with, and they're very, very receptive to this, and that is in the works as we're going to follow up with that. There are a lot of things that we got to um, look at in terms of the credentialing and certification and we're going to be looking talking to resna about that um we also in the beginning discussions about uh, with special ed here in alabama the assistive technology uh, contact that we have this just recently you know came up uh, a few weeks ago and um, they brought it to my attention that this is one of the problems, definitely in the, in the school systems. Um, and my question to them was, well, do you have a certified appointed person within the state of Alabama to provide um, um, 
uh, conduct evaluations and assessments and do training, you know, on, on certain types of equipment. And the question was, I mean, the question was answered like, uh, sort of, yeah. you know, but no, not really. And, uh, and I thought, okay, good. We need to know that because that's why we want to um, maybe attract someone here to help with that. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to remedy that problem. So yeah. we're, we're working on that right now. But as it stands, STAR does not have a certified person at this point. And we have to make the referrals for the teachers. And it's, it's a very, uh, it's a dilemma for us too, that when they call us and you know, we want to help them and we want to make sure that we refer them and we do that. We do not leave them hanging and say, we're not going to just, you know, uh, ignore this request. Mm -hmm. So we do put them in touch with someone to help with, with the, um, the situation, whether it's training or an evaluation or an assessment, we, we get it done. I imagine that the families and the individuals, the children would really enjoy that because to go uh, and having to introduce, you know, four or five teachers to it every year uh, and train them on it, uh, they could use some help there. So I could see what Kim, Mrs. Spengler is saying there. Well, and we, I loved it. Well, you know, back in uh, pre-pandemic days when we were uh, um, talking to teachers and bringing in specialists, like doing their in-service training, they would take the time and just let us come in and train them for a day. And we really appreciated that because they could be doing other things on their in-service training days. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't understand why we don't have it as like a statewide thing where the teachers have to get certified in some assistive tech and every gen ed yeah. thing. Uh, I feel like that would be, well, and even in colleges, I, I don't even know in if the, you know, to become a teacher, if you have to have assistive yeah. tech. Uh, well, I class. think it's going to be, I think that's going to be changing. Yeah. And like I said, there is a lot of interest right now. And I know one of the schools here, not just one, but I know in North Alabama, there was some interest and then right here in Montgomery. So we, we hope to be, and, and then now one of my uh, uh, co-workers in Birmingham said that he had been talking to, you know, someone there at UAB. Yeah. So I think we're going to somewhat, you know, get a collaboration going yeah. and so that we'll get these curriculum into the school, to the universities, so that we'll have more people trained, you know, within the state. And, uh, and then once they leave that training, you know, we can hopefully flood the, you know, school districts, you know, and people won't just leave us or uh, there'll be a need for them to stay. Whereas it's difficult now to even get to attract anyone to move to Alabama, you know, who has that specialization. I think Alabama is becoming more attractive uh, for people moving here. I, I, I live outside Birmingham and it's, it's growing considerably. On, I think we're starting to see more people move into the city uh, in Birmingham and in Huntsville. Mm -hmm. is, uh, I've heard it's the smartest city in, in the country. It's most PhDs, oh, most yeah. doctorates oh, sure, per capita. Sure. Um, so, sure. but I love that school collaboration there. We, um, in Homo, we were talking with the assistive tech, the, the gentlemen that make that, and they said they collabed with UAB and some of the colleges, um, to have some of the engineering students design, uh, you know, tinker with some products. And they mm -hmm. said it was the first time that the engineering students thought, you know, how do we design something for someone that has these challenges? And it kind of opened up their mm -hmm. world for mm -hmm. them. So mm -hmm. I, I loved it you know, um, hitting those students at, at a young age to, to show them mm -hmm. that there are mm -hmm. things out there like this. Well, I th one thing about Alabama, we are kind of different than, than some states with the, the ATAC program, you know, for us, STAR, is that we do have that collab 
collaboration with the Department of Rehab Services, RTSs. A lot of the, the states have to hire rehab technology specialists to do all of that or, you know, to farm that service out. But, you know, we are kind of fortunate here. That's why I say when a lot of the teachers call us, and, and, and I know we can't directly, you know, do that, provide as a service for STAR, but I know who, who can. Yeah. So I'm, I make those referrals. So, and that's basically what we, we, we do. We kind of guide people through the process. Yeah, yeah. and people need that. Uh, yeah. They're unfamiliar with the path, and so it's kind of leading them a little bit. Now, we've been talking about assistive technology. What the heck is an example of one? <laughs> Oh, you, you, you know there are plenty. <laughs> I know um, there is quite a few, but for anybody that's unfamiliar, we, we throw around the word AT, assistive tech. What? Assistive tech. Well, okay, let me go, let me go back and first give you my definition. Mm -hmm. And according to the, the law that, that STAR, you know, operates under, under the Technology Act, uh, assistive technology devices are products, devices, or equipment, whether it's acquired commercially modified or customized that are used to maintain, increase, or improve the functional capabilities of individuals with disabilities. So that means it's any device, you can take it off the shelf, you can customize it, make it yourself, and as long as that device improves or increases that ability for that person to perform a task mm -hmm. that he would not be able to perform without. So I feel like there's such a wide range there. It could be anything from, you know, like a hammer helping someone mm -hmm. nail in a nail all the way to, you know, computer programs. Well, I sometimes when I give presentation, I, I will point to you know glasses. Yeah. So what do you think that is? You know, then and people thought, oh yeah, they think of it that way. But eyeglasses, um, you're talking about now a lot of software, mm -hmm. adaptive software to computers, um, and AAC devices. I don't know if you heard of augmentative communication devices that would you know help people to to speak and communicate. Okay, yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, magnifying glasses, mm -hmm. um, adaptive switches and toys. There are a lot of children out there that want to be on an equal playing level with the quote normal children. So there are a lot of toys now that have been adapted for them to, to do that, to play. Uh, books on tapes, you know, like for people who are visually impaired and different types of um, formatting of, um, you know, text, you know, for the- Like a braille or yes. you can do that. Yeah. Yes, um, People who are deaf, hard of hearing, they're, you know, TTYs, TT, these, uh, I've heard, never heard the Yubi Duo is another device that if, if he has one, Clifton has one, I have one that we could communicate with each other, you know, that way. Mm -hmm. uh, environmental control units, you know, like if you want to um, open up your garage, turn on your lights in your home, your television, you know, things of that nature. That's under ECU or environmental control units. Um, mobility equipment like scooters and mm. wheelchairs and you know walkers um, lifts and ramps I mean you've seen cars that um, have this wheelchair on the back of their car within a lift so people do that when they can't afford you know maybe getting um, 
an adaptive vehicle. You don't like the, vans. They're expensive. They're very expensive. Yeah. Very expensive. But those are just some. I mean, that's, you know. I feel like there's an endless list there. And when there you, a you're talking about this, I, the word tool comes to mind. Uh, it's a tool. Like glasses can be a tool. Uh, right. And it's just um, like an extension of ourselves. Like uh, glasses are an extension for your eyes. They help you see in a certain mm -hmm. way. Or cars or wheelchairs are an extension of our legs. They help us get around. That's uh, right. So when you're going through these examples, it made me think of tools and extensions of ourselves. And in, in any aspect of your life it could be at, at home school work you know play you know we're talking about leisure you know activities and mm -hmm. so forth and one thing you know like the two focuses of our grant is having access to and uh, an acquisition of when you're talking access to you you're just increasing awareness you're letting them know what's out there um and uh, like resources and vendors and that kind of thing but the main thing is acquiring the AT. Yeah. You know, how are they going to get it? I mean, you can, you know, there can be an abundance of ways that you can access it and know what they are. But how do you get it? Yeah. And um, so that's the acquisition piece that we have the, the biggest problem with is helping people find the funding resources, you know, and vendors that will work with them, you know, to, to get those devices. Let's talk about that. I'm going to skip over the evals for now, and let's talk about the funding um, okay. behind that. You said that that is that's a big challenge for a lot of individuals and families. Um, funding, yeah, for most people, you know, it is. Um, a lot of people that come to us, they have well, sometimes there, there's uh, income is is kind of diminished depending on the the source of income that they have some have to quit their jobs and rely on you know supplemental you know income maybe from the government or whatever some have um uh, some credit issues because they have medical bills hospital bills that they can't pay so this has affected you know their ability to get you know have good credit to to get purchase a lot of um, the equipment that they need mm -hmm. in addition to just not having the money but just not being having the credit to get the funding as well so um, a lot of people don't have private insurance that may only pay for you know certain things and I always tell people try to read the fine print and see you never know um, and it's good to have dual coverage sometimes if you have Medicare Medicaid you can sometimes get um, equipment covered fully covered that way but we have a lot of individuals that come to us and they may only have one or the other and they can't afford the copay so and the copay is is out of their range financially mm -hmm. so that's when we refer a lot of people also to our um, financial alternative financial loan program and we're talking about the the cost of some of these assistive technologies. And when we talk about magnifying glasses and stuff, I don't think these, these would be outrageous costs, but then we also have <clears throat> having an adaptive van um, and a, mobile, uh, a wheelchair that mm -hmm. can get up in there. And these things can get up into $80,000, uh, you know, $100,000 okay. pretty yes. quick. Yes, Vehicles, uh, and, and with our, I don't know if you want ready for me to talk about the alternative finance program right now. But sure, we can go into it. it uh, 
it is a, a program that uh, Alabamians, you have to be a resident of Alabama, of course, and have a disability or a need. Family member or guardian, you know, or someone who can uh, apply for the loan for you if you're not in a position to get it, you know, on your own. You have a co-signer. Co that program started for us in 1996. Um, and it is a way for individuals to get uh, a low interest or extended loan that typically, you know, a bank, you know, would not allow. Mm -hmm. So that make your payments a little bit more, you know, doable. And right now we have two interest rates. It's a 4% and a 6% interest rate. Some states have raised that a little bit lower. Some I've seen as low as 2%. Um, why the difference in interest rates there? Why, why? With other states or between, here? between the four and the six? That's the, that's the um, some criteria that the program sets depending on the applicant's mm -hmm. status. Um, I, you know, we have a coordinator that really looks into all of that um, and decides, you know, which, where, which category this person, you know, would benefit from. Um, and uh, I'll kind of put you on the spot. How's the repay repayment of the loans? Uh, versus the loans, the loans are guaranteed. We do utilize the Auburn Bank as our um, um, the, the guarantees to the loan, but it's the Southern Disability Foundation that um, um, I'm sorry, they guarantee the loan, but we utilize the Auburn Bank in terms of the, for the financing, you know, part of it. Um, and it's very nice that they work with you. So oh yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, if you're struggling a little bit for the month or. Well, the Southern Disability Foundation has been with with us uh, as a partner with us since 1996. Um, they have a website as well. It's um, www.sdfalabama.com. So you would go to that website. It'll give you a lot of information about how to apply, who's eligible, um, their their minimum loan right now is like a thousand dollars. Okay. Um, and and we're we're glad about that because a lot of people can you know don't have a thousand dollars, but yet we can diversify our loans more you know by making smaller loans mm -hmm. sometimes. The maximum um, is like thirty five thousand, except for with the vehicle. Yeah. The vehicle is up to forty five thousand. Okay. You know, the the adaptive vehicles. And if they access that program as well, it will give them some, some information on finan financial literacy training that will help people too if they want to improve their credit and um, how, you know, establish and maybe savings if they want to, you know, put down down payment or something. Yeah, that's a great program. Yeah. With, with the cars, do they have to be newer? Can they be used? Or oh, they it, can be used. They can be used. They can be, and, and majority of the, the vehicles that are purchased through this program are used. Okay. Um, you can rarely buy, you know, a, a brand new vehicle sometimes for 45000 yeah. This is some of the smaller versions, but most of them are 60, 65 and up yeah. and more depends on the customization that needs to be done, adaptations and so forth. Now, can uh, is this program just for individuals or can providers utilize this program as well? It's for individuals or like family members, okay. you know. Um, I think we've had like, let's say a church or someone that maybe want to buy, if they have a lot of people, if they transporting mm -hmm. someone back and forth, you know, to purchase, you know, vehicle 
like that. Yeah. Um, so we have had that to happen. Okay. But we have a lot of people that have to have co-signers, you know, for it. Um, they extend the terms out, like I said, longer than a bank would traditionally, um, you know, to make the payments a lot easier. And also one other perk with that is that they provide, say if a family has difficulty making a payment for one month, they have what they call the, you know, res um, what they call that, respite payment. Okay, yeah. kind of stepping in there and helping mm -hmm. out, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I have a question about wheelchairs. I heard this and I don't know if it's a myth, but does if someone's on Medicare, Medicaid, <clears throat> will that insurance pay for a wheelchair every 10 years? Um, I heard it was 10, but they said it's back to five years. Oh, really? So every five years they'll pay for a yeah. new wheelchair? So, supposedly, yes. Mm. So. I have a family member that's going to need a new wheelchair in the upcoming years, mm -hmm. um, and we just had to replace um, her her normal one that we use to to push her around when we were in the community. And I thought about um, asking insurance to pay for that, and then I was like, "Well, these are a little bit cheaper wheelchairs. I don't want to use that uh, insurance expense on this one. I want to wait till she needs a, a bigger one mm -hmm. uh, to, to do that." And I was wondering if she only gets one every ten years, or but you, well, you know. I, I guess that I'll need to get some more verification on, but I've heard, I've used 10 years, but I've heard it's still at five years. Okay. But the thing is, um, getting a lot of people to go through the paperwork to do that, they they don't, I don't, I don't know if they, they want, don't want to go through the red tape of doing it. And that's leading me up to the program that we have now called the reutilization program, because we have a lot of people that call us and, and want wheelchairs and hospital beds and things like that. And we know that Medicare, Medicaid will pay for them even within that time frame. But some of them tear their chairs up before mm -hmm. then that happens and they and they won't get any further services from Medicaid until, you know, the designated time. Mm -hmm. So they'll come to us. But some are well beyond that time frame to get a chair and we try to encourage them to go ahead and do the paperwork to do especially if it's a new a used chair. And I will tell them, don't you want a brand new chair as opposed to a used one? And um, I said, but we don't mind. And this is what we're here for. We'll give you, uh, loan you the, the used chair free of charge until you get your new one. Mm. But if you get your new one, you can just return this one back to us and we'll give it to someone else. I think that's amazing because sometimes people outgrow uh, some oh, of the sure. things they need and other people could use them. So do they sure. donate these? Our reutilization programs, to tell you the truth, is our biggest program, you know, and that works with all ATAC programs all across the nation. The reutilization program is the biggest program that, that helps more people. Um, last year, we helped, uh, we saved consumers $1.4 million out wow. of pocket. And that's just in Alabama. And just in Alabama. Wow. And we have we have in the past saved them one point eight million. We've gone down a little bit over the years and it could be because we met some of the demands, you know, demands mm -hmm. may be a little bit smaller, but but in spite of COVID last year, we um we saved consumers more money um doing this program than we um than um before. 
I, I, I'm, the word recycling comes back to mind in, in a very positive way that someone doesn't need this assistive mm-hmm. tech mm-hmm. A- anymore and somebody else could use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a handing down. Uh, my, my brothers know about that quite well. I would hand them down things that I oh, was, yeah. you know, okay. and it's still great to use. Well, it's, it's the most popular program. People don't, they think, I didn't know that this existed. Yeah. And then when they come to us and we say, um, you can have this chair, and then they say, what do I owe you? Got like, to put nothing. a card on like, file. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they say, what? It's, you, it's free. It's, it's free. And you keep it as long as you need it. You only return it when you don't need it. And we're, and we're looking at the return uh, percent here, probably no more than, <laughs> I would say maybe less than 5% that might return anything. And when they do, it's not in the best condition, yeah. you know, that we could even reuse it. But um, it is a wonderful program. Um, we have an inventory as well that's on a website that is, is www.al.com. Um, at4all.com. Yes, that's okay. our at for all website. Yeah, uh, and and there's an inventory, so you can go on there. And if it's available there, uh, do you book through the website or do you give you a call? They can request it. Okay. You, know, you through the uh, the the website, and we get a notification that they have requested that item. Um, they can also post, like said, so they if they need an item, they mm-hmm. can put post that on the website as well, um, and we get that notification that that if, if John uh, Smith is looking for, you know, or Stander or something like that, you know. But they have access to all the five programs that we have across the state. Um, And we have one in Huntsville, uh, Birmingham, Montgomery, Dothan, and Mobile. Gotcha. And that's why we're looking to um, hopefully expand when we can get more funding into more into the Black Belt rural areas and, and some of the other um, um, Not under, as, underserved yeah, areas. Um, I have a question. I have a few of my family members' wheelchairs that um, I'm not very good at fixing things. I'll be the first one to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have minor things <clears throat> that are wrong with them. Do you guys take equipment mm-hmm. such as that and kind of tinker them with? Because oh, they're yeah. great otherwise, yeah. but yeah. it might need a little bit of welding or, yeah. you know, something like that. Well, we used to tell people that when we first started, people would call us for any and everything. And that's because they're trying to clean out their oh, they're, garage. Yeah, yeah. You probably get a lot of calls in the springtime <laughs> oh, when people yeah. are. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's the best best kept secret secret that we have because a lot of people say, I didn't know you existed. And I have all this equipment in my, in my storage house and I, didn't, I don't know what to do with it. We thought, we'll take it off your hands. But sometimes when we used to go out there and look at it, we thought, oh, no, you know, it it was either rusted and, you know, old. We couldn't find parts for it. But we would take some equipment because we could utilize some parts and put it on another, you know, piece of equipment. But lately, uh, within the last, I would say, um, five years for sure, we have been getting a lot of nice reused equipment. Sometimes it's even brand new because, unfortunately, uh, an individual, a consumer would have uh, had new equipment to come in and they weren't able to use it before, you know, passing on. And the family would call us and say, you know, you know, please come and get it. Um, And we we will pick it up. Now, there, there are times when we can and we have to ask them to deliver it, depending on the location and if we have uh, transportation to pick up and, and deliver. Um, 
But most of the equipment we have gotten recently has been very well. And we tell them, you know, gently use, that kind of thing. We also sanitize mm. the equipment uh, when we get it. And now I'm doing COVID, we're doing a lot of curbside services, but, but um, some of the, um, the staff is, is going into the homes, uh, you know, with the social distancing and, you know, mask and that kind of thing. They, they have no choice because some people that call us and say, I have this hospital bed, I have no clue how to get it out of my house, you know. Yeah. So, and they, they just, it's not, I guess, taking a risk, but they practice social distancing and, and help the family. I mean, we get nice things like lift chairs, I mean, which people need and, and ask for all the time. And in, and for my listening audience, if they know of anyone who I, would, will really donate, we need power. I mean, we need power wheelchairs, we need manual wheelchairs, and we can never get enough of shower chairs. I mean, when they come in the door, they're, they're gone. So, and lately too, and I don't know what we can relate this to, I don't know if it's climate change or, um, you know, something going on in the atmosphere, but there are a lot of people requesting nebulizers and CPAPs and BiPAP machines. And there are a lot of people out there, they have a lot of sleeping disorders, you know, so. I think that's going to be a thing in the future as well, the CPAP. I've thought about getting a CPAP and I don't mm -hmm. really struggle with <clears throat> waking up in the middle of the night so much, but mm -hmm. you spend about a third of your life sleeping and, you know, the oxygen replenishes your body there. And it's almost like uh, a hidden secret there. If you can get more oxygen while you sleep, you wake up better. Yeah. I think we're going to see that more yeah. and more people are using CPAPs. That is happening a lot now. Yeah. That's happening a lot. So, so if anybody's cleaning out the garage this weekend, <laughs> don't throw it away. <laughs> Give yeah. Mrs. Baker a call. She'll set something up and have somebody come out to the house uh, and so somebody else can reutilize that's that. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, especially when we're talking about the lift chairs, we've had people that couldn't sleep in beds and they have to sleep in lift chairs. So it's been like a lifesaver. We also, one instance, we had a lift chair that we utilized three times, mm -hmm. that same lift chair. That's a good lift chair. You, you want to give a shout out to the manufacturers of that lift chair? <laughs> it was a pretty good chair, right? <laughs> Yeah. Now, how does someone get in contact with STAR and you? Well, we have an 800 number that they can give us a call at 1-800-782-7656. Or they can go to the website, you know, via ADRS, and they can um, um, get a STAR, ADRS, rehab.alabama slash forward slash STAR. Yeah. We'll put it in the chat. Yeah. Uh -huh. That way people can do that there. Right. Um, and as we kind of come to a close here, I want to ask, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think an individual uh, or a family would benefit from hearing? Well, I, I would say our, our next step. So what we're oh, planning I to do. Oh, I skipped over that. I apologize. Yes. Oh, no, no. That's, you're fine. Our next step, um, what we want to do uh, and trying to do right now is, is, is implement a demonstration. It's assistive technology demonstration and lending library. Uh, this is one of the mandates from the federal government. We, we've done this in the past, but we have uh, had to, you know, reinstate these programs uh, after losing them for a while. And we're working on that right now. And so what that means is we are, the demonstration program, means that people will have access to different products and uh, devices. Hopefully these devices 
or what we have obtained from the needs assessment. They're telling us this is what, you know, Alabamians need right now. So we want to try to have an inventory of those devices within um, the Linden Library that could be also used for demonstrations. And then uh, that means that they will have um, to see how the, the product works. Mm -hmm. And they may see several products, not just one, so that they be able to make a more informed choice mm -hmm. about what they would fit their needs best. And then the next step would be maybe loaning that device to them. That's why we call it the lending library loaning that device to them so that they can try it before they buy it, you know, and not end up with something that they can't, can't use, mm -hmm. you know, down the road. So we're, we're looking to do that. Um, um, and, and, and housing, you know, getting an inventory of that. We also want to do, uh, do some customized training, you know, like we alluded to before, like with the teachers and, um, consumers and caregivers. We want to do more of that. And, we also have a training need assessment, assessment out there that we're waiting to get the results back from that to determine what those training topics and needs you know, will be. Um, as most programs do, we wanna try to leverage our funding. So hopefully, uh, if anybody listening out there and they know someone who have some deep pockets and they're rich we we need some funding uh, to expand you know our programs and services uh, one of the uh, we're looking at going to the state legislature for one and writing some grants but any any donations and contributions would be accepted and we'll um we really will appreciate that we're also going to concentrate on expanding services as we mentioned in the rural areas and underserved and that could be with the more reuse centers um, and also um, providing a more training and technical assistance in those areas. Uh, one of my goals is to try to hire an ATS, an assisted technology specialist, or an ATP, um, assisted technologist practitioner, to help us, you know, managing the library, you know, once we get it um, and, and the demo and loan programs mm -hmm. and providing the evals and the assessments that's being requested now, you know, across the state. So we have that person in place in that lending library. We think it's gonna really improve the services that the STAR program. When you were talking about that library and the demoing, it made me think of almost like a job fair where you could walk and see the different tables and people would introduce mm -hmm. you to it. Uh, mm -hmm. It wouldn't have to do with it being getting a job, but it would be different technology there right. uh, that someone would be demoing. And then they'd let you try it out for a few days before you purchase it. Right. Are you going- And that's up to 30 days if they need it. And sometimes they give an extension beyond that. Are you going to bring in the manufacturers or the distributors into that process as well? Oh yes, definitely. The yeah. vendors will come in. Vendors. They will even loan the devices to you for a certain period of time, and then they'll discount the prices, you know, of the device if you decide to keep it. 
but that that's given them a lot of exposure too. Yeah. So they they we get calls all the time. They think we you know they're ready to go with it. Yeah, it sounds like a big convention yeah. that you could do yeah. uh, over a week. And we did it a lot at conferences and all in the past when we were doing face to face. Yeah. We would have a table or booth set up, you know, where people can look at some of the devices. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gone down to the one in in Mobile? Uh, we were at that conference and did some recordings, but there was a. There was a wheelchair that was actually really cool. You could you could stand up in it, um, so it would sit down, and then you could bring it up uh -huh. if you wanted to be, you know, fully upright. What well, was the conference? I probably I've seen it. I'm sure it was down in or not in Mobile. It was at uh, Orange Beach. I forget oh. which, which hotel it was at. Okay. But we went down there and did some breakout sessions, broadcast some oh, breakout we've, sessions. We've had the disability. Um, oh, I forget the name of. It. They have their conference there before. Yeah. We've, we try to attend all of those and AT Expos, and yeah. we can't wait to get back into being able to do some of that. I talked to somebody <laughs> the other day, a mom, um, and she was saying it kind of feels like we're getting back a little bit. She was out and about. There was a barbecue, uh, you know, in downtown out, you know, and she's like, I feel like we're kind of coming back a little bit. And it was exciting yeah, to hear that. It is, yeah, yeah, we are. We're coming back a little bit. I'm keeping I my just fingers don't want crossed. people to keep. To put their, you know, let their guards down just yet, though, you know? Uh, well, I'm getting my second COVID shot in the beginning of May 4th. May the 4th be with you. So then I'll be, I'll be done. Well, I've, I've had both of mine. Yeah. So, and I didn't have any, any symptoms. So I thank God for that. But um, my arm hurt when on my first one. <laughs> I couldn't sleep on my right side. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, my, the second one did produce a little pain, you know, and I had the shot in the same arm. But um, but I, that's all I had was a little soreness, and I, I said it was just because of how they stuck me. Yeah, I said, that person. <laughs> See, I hate needles. I don't have any tattoos. I hate needles, and I always whine when I get a shot. Yeah. But my um, my family member got her second shot, and she was throwing up for like a day oh, yeah. and was real sleepy. Yeah. But I've heard it affects everybody different. I uh, yeah, I've heard people been in bed for three or four days. Yeah, I'm not looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, I yeah my one of my physical therapists. Um, told me she had the, the one of the shots well I won't say which one doesn't matter but yep. anyway and she she said her second one put her in bed for three days kind of wiped her out a little bit yeah she couldn't yeah she couldn't eat you know she was feverish she was cold and um but and and she was still um what they could fatigue she yeah. just left her just really you know I'll take tired. three days I'll take three, four days of being in bed than actually getting. You know. Well, it beats the alternative. Exactly. You know what? You know, dead or alive. <laughs> yeah, I'll take three days of, of sitting in a bed just drinking. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I took it. I'll have no repercussions from that, or um, yeah, no skepticism. I mean, it's it's done. Yeah, it feels so. good. I'm, I'm I'm gonna feel really. I good feel I feel better and I feel safer to be around other people, and I just hope other people will do the same so bad well you missed it miss baker came in here and just started coughing and sneezing on us she's like oh it's okay i've had both vaccines <laughs> i joke well look i i just if we're if we're ending this i just want to leave i always tell people when i do conferences and all i have this quote when it comes to assistive technology and i say it says for most people technology makes things easier for people with disabilities technology make things possible mm okay that's a big big thing there because it opens big, up doors big big difference yeah. we use a, we don't think about it but we as quote normal body people we say we use technology every day because it does make things easier for us but we don't think about that you know what the struggles and and the problems and the 
the barriers that people with disabilities have to overcome, you know. Take it without, for granted yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know, without having access to the technology that they need. So, and that's what we're here for. Well, Mrs. Ba Ms. Baker, I appreciate you spending the afternoon with us here, the morning and into the afternoon, uh, and spreading the awareness of what STAR does here in well, Alabama. It's, it's been a pleasure, and I hope people will spread the word and send them to us, you know, because I'm tired of hearing people say, we didn't know you existed, you know, STAR, what's that, you know, but we've been around, like I said, since 1994, and, um, Looks like we're not going anywhere soon. I think I might be gone before the program. I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> uh, at this point, I'll go ahead and uh, end the live stream here. Once again, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, audience.